Welcome to the Creative Pen Podcast. I'm Joanna Penn, thriller author and creative entrepreneur, bringing you interviews, inspiration and information on writing, publishing options and marketing ideas for your book. You can find the episode show notes, your free author blueprint and lots more information at thecreativepen.com and that's pen with a double N. And here's the show. Hello creatives, I'm Joanna Penn and this is episode number 693 of the podcast and it is Thursday 11th of May 2023 as I record this a little early as uh, I will be on a plane as this goes out. In today's show, I'm talking with Toby Neal about mental health for writers and turning our life into art. We discuss various issues you might be facing as well as how to deal with them, self-care and how writing can help, whether it's private through journaling or turning them into a book. So I've written about my own mental health struggles in my recent memoir, Pilgrimage, but also in my fiction, particularly Delirium. And there is an author's note in the back of all of my books, but Delirium, I go into this. It is a mystery crime novel set in modern day London, but it echoes back to the history of psychiatry and asks the question of whether we all lie on the spectrum of madness somewhere at different times in our lives. So this is going out during Mental Health Awareness Week here in the UK, which has a special focus on anxiety this year. And of course, please seek out professional help if you need it. And uh, you can go to mentalhealth.org.uk. Of course, that's global, but I'm sure there are also options in your country. I also wanted to give you a couple of book recommendations about physical health and mental health because they go together. You are not just a brain or some brain chemistry. You are a physical brain in a physical body. So these two books are great. First of all, Outlive, The Science and Art of Longevity by Dr. Peter Atiyah, which is a new book I'm reading at the moment. Uh, I have found his podcast to be way too intense, so I don't listen to the podcast. But this book is super digestible and is helping me think about how I want the next half of my life to be around physical health, mental health and all of that. It's really good. So that is Outlive by Peter Atia, A-T-T-I-A. And also, if you are a woman in midlife or you love someone who is, then check out Menopausing by Davina McCall, which made a huge difference to my life and going on HRT made such a difference to my physical and my mental health. I mean, just incredible. Plus, I have a few books. You, Of course, I should say it's not for everyone. This is not medical advice, <laughs> etc. But I wanted to recommend those two books. Plus, I have a few books that you might find useful on this topic. The Healthy Writer, co-written with Dr. Ewan Lawson. The Relaxed Author, co-written with Mark Leslie Lefebvre. And The Successful Author Mindset, which is my own book, has a lot of my own struggles in. All available everywhere you can normally get books, but also from creativepenbooks.com. If you go to thecreativepen.com forward slash mental health, it will go and bring up a collection that has all of those books in all the formats. And you can use discount code HEALTH, all caps, at checkout for 20% off the ebooks, audiobooks or print books, any of them, including The Healthy Writer, The Relaxed Author and The Successful Author Mindset, also available in The Healthy Author Bundle, which has all three. And uh, so that is just go to 
Well, links in the show notes or go to thecreativepen.com forward slash mental health and use discount code health, all caps, at checkout for 20% off. All the information is in the show notes. So in publishing and book marketing news, well, the Alliance of Independent Authors blog has an ultimate guide to selling print books from your website, which includes Shopify and WooCommerce. And good news this month as bookvault.app is expanding to the USA uh, towards the end of May. So at the moment, if you buy my print books from creativepenbooks.com in the USA, it takes a bit longer as it's shipped from here. But from June, I guess, the cost will be lower and it will be quicker and greener as the books will be printed in the USA. So it is still early days in the development of selling direct. I mean, obviously, people have been doing e-commerce for years, but for authors, this is reasonably new. And I'm excited to see what else emerges as more authors and publishers join in this way of selling. Basically, in the early days of self-publishing, we didn't have much choice. We There were only a few companies that were serving the market. But over time, as more and more customers appear, then companies appear to serve them and service companies spring up. And right now, for example, it's hard to find an author VA who can help build and maintain a Shopify store for authors. But that is definitely a growth area. If you are a VA and you want to help build and maintain Shopify stores, this is a gap in the market. A lot of people asking for this, right? now. Well, a lot of people I know. (laughs) Uh, And I'm not doing it for anyone. But yes, I I feel like this is only the beginning and it will accelerate. But I'll link to that ultimate guide in the notes or just go to selfpublishingadvice.org. Now, related to the idea of selling direct and owning the platform and the product, the company who owns TikTok, so ByteDance, has filed for a trademark for 8th Note Press, which TechCrunch reports is a new publishing business. It includes an app to read, download and discuss ebooks in an online community, retail bookstore services and ordering books in audio, print, digital, publishing ebooks, audios, physical books, as well as providing online non-downloadable fiction and non-fiction. So this is fascinating, as I think we've all been so used to Amazon being the main company that has both ads and a store for all types of books and the means to produce. But TikTok is developing its own ecosystem. So and this this is definitely something interesting because at the moment, TikTok is sending traffic to Amazon, Shopify, all the other stores. But what if TikTok doesn't have to send the traffic anyway? I mean, it already has TikTok shop where you can buy stuff, but other companies make the goods it sells. But if they have their own publishing house, then maybe you'll just be able to use that. Now, I'm not sure if this is a self-publishing community or whether this is actually a publishing house but who knows Um, I think this is very interesting and those authors doing well on TikTok may well just sort of be within that ecosystem as some authors who do well on Amazon just remain within that ecosystem definitely an interesting potential disruption ahead there as reported on TechCrunch uh, links in the notes But of course, this does feed into how fragmented the market is becoming. It used to be a a very simple answer to a question. (laughs) Someone would say, how do you self-publish a book? Or how do you market a book? Of course, and there would be like a couple of things that you'd say and that would answer it. But now it is super fragmented. There are many, many options. And the important thing to say in this episode on mental health is take a breath. You cannot 
do it all. So choose your focus and do that one thing well. Do not try to be active on every platform. Of course, sure, distribute your books everywhere, but don't try to keep up with doing content or marketing on every single platform for every format for every book. I'm currently working on how to simplify my own business going forward as these technology shifts impact our business models. So more on that once I work out what I'm doing. (laughs) But in the meantime, don't try and do everything. And then in AI and futurist news, the big news this week was Google's I.O. conference, where they announced a whole load of AI developments. This is at the moment all in waitlist only in the US, but it's all on the way elsewhere. And there are a few things that I personally find really interesting. I was getting jealous of Microsoft um, users having Copilot and all of this type of stuff. But Google is now going to roll out all the same functionality using their language models. So, for example, help me write in Gmail and Google Docs and Duet for Google Workspace you can prompt with the type of email you want to write and it will generate options or you and it also takes into account what other conversations you've had before that will help a lot i would like that right now <laughs> you'll be able to create images from text in google slides analyze data in google sheets so again you can basically use ai in all your office situations if you write on google docs in the same way as if you write on microsoft word you'll be able to use generative ai Plus, there are some insights into what Google generative search might turn into. Again, this is just a labs project at the moment, but this is where the business model of SEO for traffic starts to get a bit shaky. And personally, I do get a lot of traffic and revenue from search as it is right now. So I am invested in how this will shake out. If you work for a company that does get revenue from search, like many freelance writers do, then pay attention to these developments. Or if you are a company yourself who makes money based on people coming to your website. Um, So again, links in the notes on generative AI search. I've been thinking about this quite a lot because a lot of my main site, thecreativepen.com, has... Uh, you know, people come to the site looking for specific how-to information, but that will be covered by the generated answer. For example, how to soft boil an egg would, at the moment on Google, has a a load of recipe sites that bring traffic to a recipe site. But in the future, there will just be an actual usable answer generated. And then there will be other links. But why would you click a link if you can just see the answer? So we've been used to Google snippets, but this is going to be a lot more. This is a much more nuanced answer. So search traffic will inevitably reduce in its basic form, but there might well be other things that will well, there will always be other things. (laughs) What we will have to do is shift the way we do stuff in order to see how this works. But of course, we don't know right now. There will be a lot of discussion on how this works. But I am pretty excited about it because I'm hoping it will be a lot more nuanced. So at the moment, people might search for something basic like, um, I want to read action adventure or I want to read a crime novel. But what we want people to be able to do is to actually put a lot more information into their search and have a chat about what kinds of sub niches they want to know about. So yeah, I'm 
really interested in how this might shake out. I know my own business model is changing, but it does not worry me because I am going to pivot and I will jump into whatever comes next. Now, I have noticed if you want to use this right now, you can use Bing. Um, the Bing search engine has, you can chat with Bing and it is generative. So you can see how it works right now. And I've been using that and I have seen my behavior change pretty fast. And when I go on Google, I get annoyed because I'm like, I don't want to click through. I just want you to give me the answer. <laughs> so yeah, I want to have my sort of plan in place by I guess the end of the summer, so August, September, I aim to know what I'm doing <laughs> about all this. But in the meantime, I will keep sharing what I discover. Plus, in terms of resources, and as you think about these things, I'm enjoying enjoying the Marketing Against the Grain podcast, which is focused on how AI will impact marketing. So that's Marketing Against the Grain. And also another recommendation for Monica Lionel's author analyst Substack. She has a long essay this week on did we consent to our data training generative AI? with some very thought-provoking insights uh, there. So yes, Monica's writing some great stuff over on Substack. So that's the author analyst. Again, links in the show notes. So in my personal update, I am still happily working on Catacomb and it's definitely not faster for me working with GPT-4, but I think the book is a lot better and I am certainly having a lot more fun in the back and forth discovery process too, which for me is like a win-win all around. Uh, I'm just loving it. You can tell I'm just having so much fun. Also, if you want to see a rare video of me uh, talking about writing memoir and other things, check out my interview on Carol Westmore's show. It's called Write the Book Inside You. So write the book inside you. And uh, my interview is about pilgrimage. It is also on your audio podcast player, but it's also on YouTube. And Carol sprinkled lots of my photos into the video, which really brings it to life. So yeah, really happy with that. Links in the notes as ever. I'm also heading over to Auckland, New Zealand this week. It is a family trip to uh, visit my mother-in-law. It is not the best weather <laughs> in Auckland right now or the best time of year to go, but it is a change of scene. And I'll be at some of the AI sessions at the Auckland Writers' Festival, not speaking, just attending. So come and say hi if you're there too. If you see me, do come and say hi. I'm I'm not very scary. <laughs> So thanks for your emails and tweets and comments this week. And I am thrilled to say that the volume of AI positive comments now outweigh the negative anti-AI ones by quite a lot. And the AI-assisted artisan author made a real impact. I'm so thrilled about that. This is awesome as it makes a huge difference to my desire to keep talking about this stuff. I am so encouraged that this is helping you. So I did have like literally the most number of comments I think I've ever had. Um, so I'll read just a couple of them. CJ says, you always cut through the noise so well. Thank you for having honest com discussions about the hard stuff. I enjoyed the positive, calm voice of reason you always interject in every discussion. The issue of AI is no different. You find the good, the helpful and the relevant and then you walk away from the toxic. It is refreshing. Thank you, CJ. And yeah, I do try and stay away from toxic. <laughs> 
Melissa commented on the interview with Dan and Michael. Uh, Thank you for an outstanding episode. I'm a huge advocate for AI tools. This episode helped clarify some questions I still had about its application and the conversation for utilising AI in publishing. These tools have so many exciting possibilities to include making accessibility much improved for writers and readers. Indeed. And finally, Nicole said, here is what I'm immensely grateful for. Having listened to the creative pen for years now, I feel like I'm on the cutting edge of having a clue. (laughs) And a Joanna tainted positive one at that. So thankful not to be on the freak out, panic, I don't know what I'm talking about bandwagon, and instead on the hopeful, happy one with you. Thank you, Nicole. And yes, this is the hopeful, happy bandwagon. So remember, you can tweet me at the Creative Pen with a double N. Send me pictures of where you're listening. Email me, Joanna at thecreativepen.com. Leave a comment on the blog or the YouTube channel. I love to hear from you. It makes this more of a conversation. Today's show is sponsored by findawayvoices.com, which I use to distribute my audiobooks wide to over 40 online stores. I will play a word from them in a minute. But I also use them to find my human narrator for my Matt Walker series and I use them for my own self-narrated audiobooks. And right now I'm using them for my chirp promotion on my fiction and you can also do audiobook promotions for other stores. Super useful if you want to control your intellectual property and control your prices. So a word coming up from them in a minute. This type of corporate sponsorship pays for the hosting, transcription and editing. But my time in creating the show is sponsored by my wonderful patrons, especially all the AI stuff I've been doing. Thanks to everyone who's been supporting the show for years and months. You're brilliant. Thanks to new patrons this week, Tracy Buchanan, Yinka Ekundayo, Christy Westaway and James Loscombe. And remember, if you support the show on Patreon, you get my extra monthly Q&A for patrons only where, yeah, it's just a bit of behind the scenes uh, chat and I answer questions around a lot of AI questions at the moment. Also writing craft, publishing, book marketing and making money as a writer. And uh, you can support the show with just a few dollars or euros or pounds and lots of currencies now and you'll get the extra monthly Q&A audio. You can support the show at patreon.com, p-a-t-r-e-o-n.com forward slash the creative pen. He's listening. She's listening. They're all searching for their next listen. Is your audiobook out there? If not, what's holding you back? After this, it won't be audiobook creation tools. Introducing Findaway Voices Marketplace, the audiobook creation platform built for a world booming with audiobooks. Voices Marketplace gives you a searchable and trusted space to connect with narrators, free production and business tools, and the power to bring your audiobooks to market quickly. We've heard everything you have asked and used that to build an audiobook creation platform for you. Plus, we give you access to the world's largest audiobook distribution network, reaching listeners through more than 40 retail and library partners. No exclusivity. You keep your rights. This is your audiobook creation platform. Ready to get started? Make it on Marketplace. Toby Neal is the award-winning USA Today best-selling author of Mysteries, Thrillers and Romance with over 40 titles, as well as writing Memoir and Travel. She's also a mental health therapist, which is what we're talking about today. So welcome back to the show, Toby. Thanks so much for having me again, Joanna. 
Oh, no, I'm excited to talk to you about this really important topic. And before we get into it, we should say this is not medical or professional advice. Please see a medical professional for your situation. So you've been on the show several times before, so we're just going to jump straight into the topic. As an author yourself and someone who helps authors with mental health challenges, what are some of the most common challenges that authors face in this area? Well, I see that most authors who are working in the field at full-time to semi-full-time are struggling with isolation, uh, a lot of times anxiety, overwhelm, and many authors have triggered episodes of depression based on the sales of a book, rejections, etc. There are a lot of sort of cyclical challenges that we face in this creative field. Mm, that's so interesting. We're going to talk about some of those. Let's start with anxiety because I feel like it can manifest in different ways. I love that you say cyclical there, but I mean, chronic self-doubt, fear of failure, perfectionism, imposter syndrome, and it can end up in panic attacks, lots of anxiety really. So w- what are some of the mm. things that you've seen or even experienced yourself and recommendations? I don't think we can tackle this topic without talking a little bit about how COVID and the isolation of the last few years have sort of exacerbated the challenges for not just authors, but everyone. And they've also exacerbated the dearth of professionals that are available to help. At least in my area of rural Oregon, you can't find a therapist, even if you are begging for one. And a lot of people left the field. And there's just been a gigantic situation with isolation. And that kind of whatever your challenge was going into COVID, it might have gotten amplified. And I feel that that is something we just have to mention. So circling back around to the issue of anxiety, another one we see a lot now is fear of leaving your home, which is agoraphobia. And because we spent so much time in our home, getting out can become something you have to begin to overcome again. And what if you gained weight? And what if you don't like yourself right now because, you know, of that COVID 10 pounds or what have you, all of those things get to be like I said, amplified by the last few years. And we're not entirely out of the woods with that. Yeah. I mean, it's interesting you mention fear of leaving home and agoraphobia. Now, I feel like anxiety and depression and many of these words we use in mental health, people are like, oh, I don't feel that. It's not that bad. Like certainly for me, when you say agoraphobia, I'm like, no, of course I don't feel that. But equally, I had to really get back into expanding my comfort zone. That's kind of how I, what I'm calling it, maybe a light version. And I think maybe a lot of us have light versions of these things, because we're not talking necessarily about things that need medication here. What we're talking about is things that play a part in all of our lives. So I had to actively, and I'm someone who travels, right? It's like, oh, it would be much easier to just stay at home, but I have to push myself out there. What are some ways that we can deal with some of these things, whether we call it anxiety or whether we call it stress? (laughs) Stress or just, you know, getting out of our comfort zone, what became comfortable during COVID. You know, I kind of forgot how to put makeup on and, you know, how to dress and basic things like that. My hair was, you know, it's a mile long and hasn't been styled in forever. All of those things become something that you kind of have to put your big girl panties on and deal with. 
But I'm going to talk about a little bit, a couple of tools that I feel are really helpful and easy to access for anyone. One of them is called tapping, emotional freedom technique. And this is, I use a app on my phone called the tapping solution. I am not an affiliate. So I'm going to always say if I'm an affiliate of something, I am not an affiliate of the tapping solution. But it's got wonderful library of these different scenarios that you might face with anxiety from turning your day around to 10 days of gratitude to increasing your immune system. What tapping is, is a sequential series of pulse points on your face and hand while repeating different affirmations. So What's really nice is the people on the app have this lovely mellifluous voice and talk you through first owning the anxiety that you have and then turning it around to an affirmation. And meanwhile, you're doing this little tapping sequence. It's very non-invasive. You can learn in five minutes. And I can't say enough good things about it because I've seen it have actual lasting clinical benefits for clients. As, as well as being completely accessible to the general public. So again, the tapping solution and tapping or EFT, you can look it up online. There's all kinds of YouTube videos also. So that's one tool I want to mention to everyone. And it can not just be anxiety, but whatever that you want to work on. Like I've often worked on, I have a sugar addiction, you know, Oh, get, me too. <laughs> releasing my attachment to sugar and really trying when we get into other tools For me, diet and exercise are huge in managing mental health. So I am a clinical therapist licensed in the state of Hawaii to do therapy. And I have all those degrees and what have you. But at the core of it, I'm a person who has struggled with an abusive past, growing up in an alcoholic home, overcoming a lot of trauma and trying to heal myself. And all of that led me to become a therapist and ultimately a writer, which was always my dream from the beginning. So that's kind of my background. So I'm not like speaking to you from a place of, oh, I have it all figured out. No, I struggle and I'm in the trenches right with you trying to use these tools. Uh, So I want to share the ones that have been particularly helpful. Another one I love is hypnosis. And when I was trained in clinical hypnosis, my teacher said, all hypnosis is basically self-hypnosis. We basically allow our minds to open to a, to a suggestion, and then we engage with that suggestion. And hypnosis is a super powerful tool along with tapping. I, For my clients, sometimes I will work with them to create a list of beliefs and affirmations that they want in their lives. And then I'll use my special hypnosis voice to use their own words to create a hypnosis recording that they can listen to over and over. And we've had lots of people see really big breakthroughs with that. But you can get your hypnosis done online. There's all kinds of things you can buy. Um, The Calm app even has some in it. Mm. (laughs) Like if you want to listen to different hypnosis for sleep, a hypnosis for getting rid of sugar, whatever. So I want to mention these because to me, tapping and hypnosis are hacks. They just like cut to the, cut through the need to talk about the problem and get right to the solution. 
Does that make sense? Yeah. And I really love that. And I've tried hypnosis therapy for phobia and I've, I've tried cognitive behavioral mm-hmm. therapy, but also there are other apps, non-sleep, deep relaxation, for example, yoga. Mm-hmm. I mean, the ones that you've suggested, and I think this is the overwhelming thing that I feel with mental health and probably with physical health is you can dismiss things and roll your eyes if you think, oh, that's too woo-woo or that's not going to work, but just try things out. And if they don't work, try something else. Mm-hmm. Because the reality is that we all, it all goes up and down all the time, right? I mean, we, and right. I also feel there is a place for medical help if that is something you need. I felt my mental health was greatly improved by going on HRT as a midlife woman. And that was one aspect of anxiety, depression, that kind of thing. You can't just let it carry on. I think that's what I would say too. Like right. we have to deal with this that's stuff. That's right. This is our life. That's right. Isn't it? Right. It does. And what we know about mental health issues is they can start small and they build. And the mind is an amazing thing. It's plastic, it's expansive, it can be incredibly resilient, and it can also be very resistant. And it has a tendency to catastrophize and always to go to the dark side. If you look at our evolution, that it's clear that fear and anxiety was there to keep us safe. And that fear of a large dog then generalizes to cows and deer and goats and all these things because your mind is trying to keep you safe. And pretty soon you're afraid of any large animal, you know? So that's why you need to nip it in the bud. When you see something getting out of hand, like for instance, hoarding is another thing I see a lot of after COVID. We surround ourselves with stuff and somehow think that's going to make us feel safe or like we have what we need, but it's a black hole. It's never going to, there's never going to be enough stuff. And the hoarding can, is a form of anxiety in case people wondered, it's Mm. not a lack of willpower. It's, it's a branch of anxiety. And many people need like a clinical intervention to a, get rid of the stuff and B have the wherewithal to dig into what does the stuff represent? And that can be mental stuff, as well as physical things that we're collecting and surrounding ourselves with. So my advice is at this moment is if there's an area of your life that's causing you concern, don't waste time and allow it to grow and expand and generalize (laughs) because that's the way the mind works. That's one of the predictable ways that, that phobias grow and populate. They get bigger and they get more. Uh, rather than smaller, unless you do an intervention of some sort with yourself. Yeah. And that it's being aware of what's going on. So let's just a very practical thing around social media, because the internet Mm -hmm. has brought us much, uh, many good things and also many bad things. And one of those things is the kind of doom scrolling that some of us get into or the constantly checking whether that's sales figures or whether people have liked Mm -hmm. a certain post or, you Mm -hmm. know, every day checking ad spend or all of that kind of thing. Now there's, you can do this in a healthy way, but also you have to be aware if you're doing it in an unhealthy way. How do you personally as an author deal with overwhelm of what other people think on social media. This is definitely something I struggle with. Oof, oof, it's tough. It's tough because I'm right in the trenches with you. I have a very large platform. I have 
for the most part, lovely, lovely, loyal fans. And I wish everyone could have a fan group because my little fan group on Facebook is a place where I go and I created rules in the fan group to make it a safe place, not just for me, but for everybody who's in it. And I basically limit my social media exposure and my news exposure. I'm very not on the grid with any of that. And I only do what I have to do to maintain my presence as an author in the areas that I see as useful. And again, everybody's going to find that to be different. For me, Facebook has been the platform where I focus most of my energy. My fan base is older. That's the platform they're on. That's the platform they're comfortable with. So finding where your readers are and creating a niche for them around that can be also really lovely for you. So when I have a down day, maybe I'll say something, I'll throw something into my group. This is so sad. I mean, I'm just like admitting my own weakness here, but I'll be like, so which character is your favorite in my series? (laughs) And then I just wait for the fans to pop up with their little stories. And of course I do a giveaway usually, you know, just enter to get a mug and tell me which is your favorite character. And that will boost my mood and my self-esteem and they're getting a prize and they're happy. So (laughs) there's ways to harness it, you know? Uh, But for me, it's really all about limiting everything and just keeping my phone off a lot. I have no notifications enabled whatsoever on any device. I try to control my access. And, but there will be the inevitable harsh review. There will be those things. Some of them penetrate my filters and usually I'll do a giveaway to counteract that. (laughs) I love that. Turning it into something positive. And yeah, I'm grateful for the Patreon supporters of this podcast. And I also Mm -hmm. have a folder in my email, which is nice fan mail folder, where if people send me emails that make my day, sometimes I'll even print them out and put them in my journal because it feels like it's too easy to pay attention to the negativity when most people are silent. Like most people, the silent majority is not commenting at all, but we seem to remember the negative so much. I did want to ask you specifically, so a lot of your background is in Freckled, your memoir. And that book, you put a lot of your family in it. You put a lot of your struggles Mm -hmm. in it. And with your other memoir writing and your travel writing, you're putting a lot of this out there. So this, uh, a lot of people have anxiety around putting their personal Mm -hmm. stuff out there. So how have you dealt with this? Because you've also had some negativity around that memoir, haven't you? So how have you dealt with that? That's a really good question. I kind of come back to the core reason why I do it. And that's what I have to keep returning to over and over again when I'm feeling vulnerable. So Freckled is actually my best-selling book out of 40 plus titles. It's been, it's sold close to 75,000 copies Mm. in full price at almost $9 a piece. And, And it sells in print as well. And I think it's because two reasons. One, it's a very unusual book. It's written about growing up in the 70s in Hawaii. And I wrote it in an unusual way. 
So it's very immersive experience for the reader. I age up the writing and it's in first person present tense. And you're just in Hawaii having all these experiences with me until it ends when I'm 18. So it's a very unusual memoir. It was totally mind-blowing for my relatives who had no idea what was going on in our home and what we were, the situations we were living in. They all thought it must be so much fun in Hawaii. And really we were homeless and camping on a river and eating boiled chicken feed for food and wearing dyed clothes because my dad was having a paranoid episode and there was all these things going on. So I had my aunts and different people, relatives contact me like we had no idea. We, we didn't, we would have helped if we had known. And people, and I had to work through all of this feedback from people. So yes, if you're going to write this kind of book, you had better be prepared. My mom, who was also the most strong supporter of the book, um, also got to read an early draft, but somehow didn't grasp on to what would happen when the book was public. And later she got very, very upset with me. And we went through a really difficult period of working through where she felt super vulnerable and exposed. And like, did I do that for revenge and all these things. So I'm not going to downplay that. That is a risk. And what keeps me going is this calling that I felt in my heart to make art from life. So to me, memoir is making art from your life. It's not therapy. It's not your personal journal. It's not your story per se, just throw it out anyway. It is a curated art form that you work very hard on if it's going to be any good at all. And you do that because you have a desire to make art from the life that you've had. And so that's why I do it. Not for money, not to hang my family out to dry, but because what I believe is that When you make art from life, you bring healing to others. You draw back this curtain for everybody who has suffered silently in an abusive home with alcoholism or put on the happy face of the achiever, because that was my role as the oldest child was to go out into the community and achieve, 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 no matter what was going on so that the family looked good. So when we draw back that curtain, we heal others. We say, we let others, we give others permission to tell their story and to bring air in onto that wound. It's interesting though, you say there that a memoir is not therapy, but writing itself can help us. And I've kept journals since I was about 15. I have them here in my office. I mean, when I read some of my journals from my, uh, this is, I'm married for the second time when my husband left me, that when I read those journals, I don't even recognize that person. And I've never published Mm -hmm. those words. This is an important thing, right? You can write for therapy, but that doesn't Mm -hmm. mean you have to publish it. Whereas what you did there was turn your therapy once you had processed it into a memoir. Mm -hmm. How can the act of writing, even if it's in your journal, help us? You know, why does writing help us process things? It's the act of becoming aware of being aware. And when you think about thinking that meta work, we draw back a little bit from being in our lives to assess our lives. And in therapy and in CBT, when I was doing therapy full-time, CBT, cognitive behavioral therapy, is the best practice recommendation for anxiety and depression and even trauma. 
And so what you need is a tool in order to capture your thoughts and look at them and evaluate their validity. I love what Robert Fulgham said, don't believe everything you think. That is a central premise. It's a central premise of therapy. Don't believe everything you think. And a journal and the act of writing is a way that you can capture what you're thinking and then do a little bit of a pullback and go, is this true? Is this real? That is the process of therapy and CBT is evaluating your thoughts and for their truthfulness. And even when you're doing it really formally, you're, you have a situation, you use a form of journaling that is like tracking. You have situation going to the grocery store, thoughts. Everybody thinks I'm fat. My hair looks terrible. When I go through the aisles, they're judging me, you know, oh, and there's germs, right? Mm -hmm. (laughs) So then over here, likelihood, those thoughts are true. Probably 15%. You have to rate the amount of percent that you give to the truthfulness of those thoughts. Um, Another way to look at the situation. Yes, there's germs, but I can use hand sanitizer. Yes, I don't look my best right now, but most people are also at the store to just buy food. Yeah, nobody cares. (laughs) So see, that's, see the four column structure I just gave you. That is the CBT form of, of tracking and writing that you would use in therapy. But I have a different form. And like you, I've been a lifelong journaler. And those, those are going back to the morning pages, Julia Cameron, that's just barfing it out on the page that, you know, here I am today with all of these things. And this is what's on my mind and all of that. It is still valid. Writing is a way that we make sense of our lives. We write to know more deeply, to remember and to understand our lives. And for me, that form of writing is separate from memoir. Memoir is for public consumption, but what I write about in my private time, in my journal, that is for me to make sense of myself and of the world and of the experience I've had. And you know what? Now it's sort of to remember because I I still have some lingering effects from long COVID and memory has been impacted. So I want to write every day so that I don't forget. That's interesting. And yeah, these the reasons why we do things change over our lives. And it's interesting, I, I'm more of a binge journaler. So mm-hmm. when I was going through that divorce, there are books and books and books, like I might have had four whole journals for, across one year, when I was going through processing things, mm-hmm. so I would write multiple times a day. And then when I'm going through happy periods, like at the moment, I only journal like every couple of weeks. I feel like it almost it's almost like it builds up inside me until I feel like I really, really must go and sit in a cafe and write my journal because I feel like that is something I need to do every now and then. And I think this yeah. is important, as, especially as professional writers, because there's this pressure that all the words we write are publishable. But that it's just yes. not true, is it? <laughs> Right. No, there is the garbage and luggage. We call it when I was, I worked for a a social service agency. And when we had morning check-in with our employees, the, the head social worker would say, what's your garbage? You know, the garbage is the black, just get it out onto the paper and release it. The luggage is what are we taking with us? What do we need to work through? What is an ongoing theme that we need to take action on? So I wanted to say a few words too about 
the ways that we need to keep going with self-care, I actually do tracking. If I could show it to you, you'd crack up. It's on the side. I call it the routine. So on the side, I've got written down five sun salutations, two by 15 kettlebells, 45 minute walk, no alcohol, no sugar, spirit time, 1500 new words, supplements and rest. There's this, this is all written on the side. Then I have Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday, Thursday. And every day that I achieved doing that activity, I've given myself a little sticker or a smiley face. Okay. (laughs) And I don't get like, or if I didn't do it, like, oh, I had that glass of wine. So I'm trying to cut back on alcohol. I got a little bit, I feel like it makes me fuzzy and unproductive the next day, even a small amount, but I love a nice, nightcap. So it has been a rough habit to give up. I don't give myself a censure. If I don't make it, I just give myself the tracking, um, cute little stickers. So I go and buy them online or I buy them at stationary stores. This is, this stuff works. Even when you're a therapist and you know, this is behavioral reinforcement. (laughs) And I know I'm giving myself behavioral reinforcement, I still get motivated by seeing a row of the cute little stickers and spending money on myself to buy the cutest ones. And I only get those when like, oh, I made it through a week of no glass of wine at the end of the day. So I highly recommend that if you're trying to build a habit, and again, these self-care activities are habits that we need to deliberately add to our lives or take away from our lives. When we take something out, we've got to put something in. So again, instead of alcohol, I substituted uh, an expensive bubbly water with a slice of lime, which I had to go buy. And I got the experience of that special drink and so forth. If I didn't do anything, then I'm having a rougher time replacing the habit. Is that making sense? Yeah, yeah, for sure. And the sticker, I've always done sticker charts. And in fact, now I use Moo.com to print my own stickers with my own meaningful images. Oh, wow, how fun. (laughs) It is fun. You know, it's bringing, that's what we need is, is fun. We need to treat that inner child self of ours with respect, with love, with nurture. And it is not a, the muse is more lured out to play than flogged with punishments. So I just really, those of us in a creative field, it is a tough, tough thing to, to, to make a living doing creative work. It is just, whether it's painting or music or writing or any of the arts, dance, what have you, it's a rough way to make a living because you're counting on that inner child to be able to keep performing. And it can only really do that when there's a nurturing environment. And the only person who could really do that is you. So those are my little confession is that I quite frankly use behavioral reinforcement on myself. When I get that those words, every 500 words, I get a sticker. I've got a separate chart for that because it's sometimes it's rough. It's real work. It's a job, you know? 
Yeah. And I think it, what's important too is that you, and you have a lot of habits on that list. I mean, I also have various mm-hmm. stickers for various things. I also have a log book. So my journal is separate to my daily log book. And in my log book, I write down what I've done. So you're on this, my log book for today, this discussion. And also if I'm feeling something particular or I, like you said, I mean, I also try and reduce my alcohol, but I really like a drink. And so if I, yes. I will actively choose to drink on occasion mm-hmm. like if you and I mm-hmm. were hanging out I would hope we would have like a glass of wine or you know we absolutely would yeah, exactly <laughs> or if we're going out for if I'm going out for lunch with Jonathan I'll have sticky toffee pudding or something mm-hmm. like that um but so we choose the thing we it's that 80 20 rule I guess can we live yeah. in a sustainable way 80% of the time so that 20% of the time we can indulge or do the other things again like exercise or our physical health mm-hmm. I walk almost every single day but sometimes it just doesn't Mm -hmm. work out or whatever so that's okay it's Mm -hmm. not like I beat myself up but you mentioned a nurturing environment and obviously we have to look after ourselves first but you and I are also very lucky and we've chosen this life but we have supportive partners and we have friends like you and I but we've met each Mm -hmm. other through the community so if people listening if they don't have that supportive environment or author friends how can people find a community or attract other like-minded people and have that online almost. So how can you do that if you're just starting out and don't have friendships like we have? I would look for an online group that already existed. And there's various Facebook groups with different kinds of author gatherings. So that's a great place to do it or Discord or one of those other online social media type places is a great place to just start looking for like-minded people. I also just moved to a new state and a new town. And I really determined that this time, because I lived in a in a place for about four years and did not get connected with my community at all. I felt like I was going to be there temporarily, but there was actually no data to show that I was going to be there temporarily. My own attitude and withholding. <laughs> so again, we create our own self-fulfilling prophecies. I we ended up leaving there. And I was glad that I hadn't put the time in to invest in new friendships. But we came to this new town and I decided two things. I was going to get involved with my community and I was going to start volunteering in person again. It's so easy to do everything online again. And now we're coming out of COVID. It's time to be IRL. (laughs) (laughs) So the first thing I did was joined my rotary club in my town. And not because I felt like, quote, quote, my people are in the rotary club. They couldn't be more different than me. You know, I'm there kind of sort of hippie-ish, the writer. And these are very staid, upstanding, retired local kind of power brokers in my town. The mayor is in my group and things like that. But what I wanted to do was I want to be a part of this community. I want to show my face. I want to get to know people. And I'm using my background as a therapist to become a court-appointed special advocate. So I work with children in the foster care system. And this is, again, a volunteering thing. I had to go through this big, long training. Many times I was like, oh, this is too much with my writer business and my travel. I can't, you know, people will count on me. And then I was like, no, I need to be in contact with people who need me and people who remind me how fortunate I am. 
that is really key to mental health is like, there's always somebody worse off than you. And it doesn't hurt to be reminded of that, to be called out of yourself to go and give. And so I think for anybody who's struggling with depression, get a pet, get an exercise routine and start doing something in your community that's giving back because staying in that little cocoon of your own negative thoughts and that dark place that can pull you under, it's just going to snowball. That's great. I feel the same. I'm like, we do so much online and in our own heads. And it's almost remembering that you have a physical body. You are a physical human, not just a brain, because sometimes we're just brains online. I mean, you and I right now, we're not looking at each other. So we're two brains connecting over the internet. (laughs) Isn't that a wild thought? It is a totally wild thought. And when we write books, it's a brain connecting with another brain through the medium of a book. And so we overemphasize that because that's our strength. But yeah, we need to remember we're a physical body and therefore keep the physical body healthy by exercising and, and healthy eating and meeting other people in a body. So yeah, I think that's really important. But we're almost out of time. But I do want to ask you a question. I can't go an episode without mentioning AI. And one of the biggest issues that right now in the community is people are very afraid. They're already burned mm-hmm. out, overwhelmed, mm-hmm. too much to learn. Mm-hmm. And now there's an anxiety about the author career and all of this changing technology. So how can we deal with, or how are you navigating the challenges? What does the career going to look like for the next decade? And I mean, you, as you, you're not retired, you're still writing, you have an author business. Right. So how can we think about yeah. the future and acknowledge the fear, but also move through it? I think it's really key to get to know the thing that you're afraid of. So for me, I am exploring the AI actively. I'm checking out, I have been fooling around with PseudoWrite and got a membership with that. And I'm getting to know what does it do? What doesn't it do? Uh, And then again, there's the chat GPT, which also has a learning curve to it. So I think key to the fear around AI is get to know the tool before you judge. Because when we're afraid, we're reactive, we're defensive, our minds are closed, and we're, we become prickly and anxiety builds, right? So that's one aspect. The second aspect is look at what has happened in other creative areas, such as the music industry. It's all accelerating. And you can sort of see where things might go. There's streaming constantly. There's tons and tons of material available for pennies. All of that is very fear, fearful for authors. But what you can do instead is dig into your niche. So for me, that has meant moving to web-based sales and a uh, reader subscription plan on Substack where I'm writing to my audience who are paying direct. And I know you use Patreon. I've chosen not to use Patreon. I'm using Substack and my website. But what I'm doing is digging deeper into my loyal fan base because that is going to weatherize me to the cheapening of everything. Right now, if you are an author whose main income is coming from Kindle Unlimited and that kind of subscription model, I would be nervous about it because there is going to be even more schlock added to the mix, right? And it's going to be even harder to get that visibility that's all important. 
So now is a time to connect with your readers in a personal way and give them opportunities to support you. Create ways that they can give you money direct. They can buy from you direct. They can support you with a subscription, that kind of thing, because readers want to do that. Just like they support the musicians that they love, they will support writers that they love too. So that's my two-pronged approach. Get to know it and dig deeper into direct sales and direct contact with my reader base. That's fantastic. That's multiple streams of income, which we love. So tell us a bit more about your books and where people can find you and your Substack and connect around coaching if they're interested. Definitely. It's all on tobyneal.net. And if you're interested in talking with me about setting up your own hypnosis recording or talking about coaching in any form or coaching plus mental health, look for the author coaching tab on my website. And I write police procedural mysteries, thrillers, memoir, romance, and an ongoing travel and life blog on Substack called Passages. So you can look up Passages and follow along and see in real time as I'm writing a third memoir, which it will be crafted from these travel experiences and life experiences. So again, tobyneal.net has it all. And, and that's my tip is weatherize your business by focusing everything on what you can capture, your newsletter, your email address <laughs> list, and your website for direct sales, because those are the ways that you can weatherproof your writing business going forward. Fantastic. Well, thanks so much for your time, Toby. That was great. Thank you. So I hope you found this episode useful and make sure to spend time improving your own mental and physical health as it's the only way to remain a happy creator for the long term. So remember, you can get 20% off The Healthy Writer, The Relaxed Author and The Successful Author Mindset in ebook, audio or paperback from creativepenbooks.com. Use discount code HEALTH, HEALTH, all one word, all caps at checkout for 20% off and I will link to that in the show notes. Next week, we're back to the craft and we're talking about writing novels inspired by place with Tony Park. So looking forward to that one. And in the meantime, happy writing and I'll see you next time. Thanks for listening today. I hope you found it helpful. You might also like the backlist episodes and show notes available at thecreativepen.com forward slash podcast. You can also get your free author blueprint at thecreativepen.com forward slash blueprint. If you'd like to connect, you can tweet me at The Creative Pen or find me on Facebook at The Creative Pen. See you next time.